In an effort to speed up the amount of renewable energy being produced in New York, state energy officials began an expedited solicitation of new green energy projects in November, with awarded announcements scheduled for April of 2024. The sped-up process comes in the wake of Politico New York reporting that more than two dozen renewable energy projects identified by the state have been canceled, leaving a hole of nearly three gigawatts of renewable capacity and more than 150 megawatts of energy storage. For more on this new solicitation effort, we're joined on the Capitol press room by Doreen Harris, president and CEO of the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority, which will be evaluating the latest round of proposals. Welcome back to the show, President Harris. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So how much energy creation and or energy storage are you hoping to get from this latest solicitation effort? Well, it is a little bit of a complicated situation because we're actually seeking all sorts of different renewable energy technologies through two solicitations that were issued November 30th. So on the one hand, um, we're focusing on our offshore wind resource and how to expedite projects forward through that solicitation. And on the other, focusing on land-based renewables like wind and solar projects. And really, when we think about the capacity goals that we have, it really will be very much dependent on what the market brings forward, both with respect to project maturity and viability, but also the prices that they bid. So we we don't have a target per se. It's really focused on projects that are more mature and ready to deliver at a good price. This is being described as an expedited solicitation. So what elements of the process do you anticipate will be faster? We've been running these procurements literally for 20 years at this point, uh, all the way back to New York's very first utility-scale wind farm. And and in doing so, the procurements have become more complex. Uh, It is certainly true that we're looking for more from these projects and have done so really over a series of decades, to my point. So in this RFP, actually both RFPs, we're, we're trying to go back to the basics to some extent. Some of the bells and whistles that were part of, of recent solicitations we've removed, really trying to focus on the core elements of projects that are both viable and can be delivered in the near term at a competitive price. So uh, no, no bundling with energy storage, no port investments, et cetera. It's really focusing on the projects themselves. Will there be a faster evaluation as well then? Definitely. We've really uh, taxed, I would say, this this team to do their best to use all of those resources the most efficiently that they can. And in fact, the plan specifically for offshore wind is actually to take in bids at the end of January and to have award announcements by the end of February. So that is an extraordinarily fast turnaround, but it is on the basis of of a robust set of experience sets that we have upon which to build. The upstate wind and solar is gonna take a little longer because we anticipate certainly dozens of projects that will be bidding in, but even that will be wrapped up in April. By removing certain bid requirements that might have maybe had substantial effort attached to them, do you feel like the state is taking on any risk that it might not have otherwise assumed in past solicitation efforts because of the bid requirements that were in place? What we're removing with with the bid requirements this, this year really has less to do with risk 
from the perspective of the project's ability to deliver. We still actually have very mature requirements in place for the projects to bid in the first instance. So I, I'd say what we're removing is less with respect to risk of the projects themselves and more having to do with additional requirements that actually may place those projects at risk. So for example, by removing some of the supply chain requirements for offshore wind, we're creating a situation in which the project has more flexibility with respect to its delivery. And I would say as a general matter, removing those types of risks will allow projects to become more likely to deliver on time and at the scale as bid. Well, what do changes to supply chain requirements for offshore wind projects mean for some of the projects that were announced for some of the ports in the capital region, which we're anticipating that they would play a major role in the supply chain process? Well, it is certainly an available resource to bid with those provisions. So as an example, a, a project in this RFP could certainly bid and assume that they would use the Port of Albany for uh, their towers or the Port of Coimans for a GE investment, et cetera. The difference here really comes down to a requirement and an investment in that facility. And in allowing the bidders the flexibility to use the supply chain that exists without necessarily requiring them to also be a partner or an investor in those facilities, it, it creates not only more flexibility, but less risk as well. Well, does that flexibility mean that some of the announcements made for the Port of Queemans or the Port of Albany may never be realized or at least not realized on the timetable that was initially announced? Renewable energy projects like offshore wind are always going to benefit from using New York facilities. Um, we evaluate in part on the basis of economic development in the state of New York. So to the extent that these facilities can deliver toward the projects that are being bid, it would be in the strong interest of the bidder to do so. So I'd say it has less to do with the motivation and really removing the requirement is the part that I think is going to be most impactful for this RFP. So if I can parse that political language for a second, it sounds like it's possible then that some of the projects uh, announced in the past may not come to fruition at the timetable that was envisioned initially. Oh, I don't think that parsing is quite where I was heading. I mean, obviously, the, the award for the Port of Coimans is just a couple of months old. And that is a project that's going to take a number of years to, to come together and obviously have a lot of milestones along the way. Okay. So I, I think it's premature to say anything about that facility. Obviously, the Port of, of Albany has particular challenges, but I would say it's pretty notable the ways in which we see real tailwinds coming into place for facilities like Coimans and Albany, given not only our demand, but the ways in which the federal government is clearly supporting these types of investments through tax credits, grants, and otherwise. So I'm actually saying New York has made good decisions. Um, these are complex projects, though, and, and I just like the generation projects themselves. Um, I'm sure there'll be many steps along the way for their ultimate development. You talked about the idea of identifying projects that are more mature. So do you envision the solicitation will result in the state getting 
for lack of a better word, recycled proposals, either projects that were pitched in the past and not uh, chosen by the state, or maybe reconfigured versions of plans that were either uh, originally uh, awarded contracts with the state or originally identified by the state, and developers either scrap them or, or want to scrap them due to shifting financial conditions? Well, in part, certainly these RFPs are designed to, I'd say, further advance the reset that that certainly the governor has set forth in her 10-point plan that was issued earlier this year. We need to move quickly not only to assess the status of the contracted portfolio that we have now, and we've done that and continue to do that, but these RFPs are intended in part to allow those projects that cannot continue under their existing agreements or awards to, to bid. It's a competitive process, but certainly we're seeing indication that a, a good, good portion of that portfolio will be bidding and, and competing for a new contract from the state awards that sign contracts uh, with the state had to post security for their developments if they are selected for these new projects in lieu of projects that they're looking to scrap will they have to sacrifice those securities or will you let them move those deposits on to the new contracts the approach is actually different depending on the type of resource but but generally speaking the objective that we have is to take the security that has been provided thus far. And if the facility is successful in bidding into the RFPs that we now have on the street, we would take that security and continue to build on it um, with new contracts that may be awarded through these RFPs. The long and short of it is we would only retain security from these projects if they don't actually get built. And so if a project terminates their agreement and says, I'm done, I'm not going to build this project ever, we would retain the security that we have. But if they intend to bid and are ultimately successful in these RFPs, that security would be built through new agreements and again, only return when the project was constructed. You mentioned the importance of price in this latest round of uh, renewable energy solicitation. So do you anticipate that ratepayers will end up spending more for renewable energy through this solicitation than, say, the past solicitations? I guess specifically, do you think for the nearly three gigawatts of renewable capacity that's been scrapped, if we want to get that back, are we going to have to pay more for it? We have obviously market dynamics that have come to bear in the past year notably through the petitions that we've seen from the industry over the summer to the Public Service Commission. And, and even in the awards that we announced um, a couple of months ago with the, the very major investments that we're making in new renewable energy. All that to say, there is definitely a circumstance in which at least the cost compression that we were seeing over the prior number of years has, um, has reversed, at least in part. Um, we, we paid you know, a bit more. We still felt it was a very competitive RFP that we had a major announcement for this fall. But at the same time, um, what we're running now is is a competitive process. Um, so I, it'll it'll be an interesting spring, I will say, when we see both what the existing uh, generation projects that elect to bid into this RFP as well as new market entrants that may elect to participate, really how they look at the market collectively, 
and how they view their project compared to others through this competition. And after a quick break, we'll have more on the state's new renewable energy solicitation effort with Doreen Harris, president and CEO of the New York State Research and Development Authority. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. For listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're talking about the state's latest renewable energy solicitation as New York tries to realize 70% renewable energy by 2030 for its electric sector. And our guest is Doreen Harris, president and CEO of the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. Back in August on the show, you said that even with the selected projects, New York would be, quote unquote, fairly close to realizing New York's 70 percent renewable by 2030 target for the electric sector. How would you describe the trajectory now based on what's in the pipeline? Yes, it is. It's a very dynamic situation. For those who are actually doing the math, the most recent round of awards that were really a blockbuster group we announced this fall actually theoretically would have placed us above 70% renewable. But obviously we know that many of these projects have particular challenges, at least on the basis of the petitions that they have made to the Public Service Commission. And so we are strongly committed to staying current in the status of these agreements. Um, We post all of our agreement statuses in the Open New York website. That is the the basis of of some of those metrics that you've been quoted. We have seen thus far a number of projects elect not to proceed. The number thus far was 27 projects that have elected not to sign contracts. And and soon we'll we'll be updating that database to reflect those that were subject to a recent deadline um, set last week to terminate the agreements that they have with NYSERDA. We will necessarily see a dip in the near term in our progress. And then once we conclude these expedited RFPs, it'll obviously be um, relevant to see where we end up relative to that goal. Do you want to give us a tease of what the uh, updated awards looks like? Uh, How how many beyond, say, that 27 are you anticipating have uh, pulled the plug at this point? The date we'd committed to provide the update based on that mutual termination date of the 14th is is coming up here on the 21st. So uh, you'll have to stay tuned. We're still crunching the numbers, but obviously this is expected. These projects need to terminate their agreements with NYSERDA in order to bid into this RFP that we have on the street. So as a general matter, I'd, I'd actually see these terminations as a sign of market interest in participating in the RFP we have out. So there'll be some ups and downs here, um, but we're committed to transparency and solid reporting along the way. But it's going up. I mean, there will be more than 27 mutual termination agreements or conscious decouplings in the words of uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> yes, I suppose we are in the midst of a decoupling right now. So yes, one, one would expect the 27 to go up, certainly when we post on the 21st of December. So in early December, New York effectively turned on its first offshore wind farm. What does that actually mean? 
Well, it meant for me an eight-hour boat ride um, <laughs> to go see uh, that wind farm, uh, 35 miles off the coast of Montauk, and um, it was spectacular, um, just spectacular to see the scale of these turbines. Again, 11 megawatts means 800 feet tall. Sorry, but like the scale um, is astonishing, and what we were there to celebrate was um, the first uh, turbine was actually delivering electricity into the, the South Fork of Long Island um, from an RFP that was was issued in 2015. Wow! So uh, small but mighty. This project is is certainly indicative of of an early stage solicitation that that brought forward a 132 megawatt project. Now we're looking at projects that are orders of magnitude bigger, but but so amazing to see and and also to recognize that we can do this. Um, a lot happens in eight years um, for South Fork, and a lot will be happening with these projects as we move these forward as well. Well, we've been talking about renewable energy from the generation side of things. What about the process of actually getting power to people? Is the pace of new transmission keeping up with the renewable development that the state has underway? Well, I'd say that the state has done an extraordinary job of of focusing on transmission needs. Um, It is the case that our goals sort of started with generation and pretty quickly uh, transmission needed to catch up. Uh, you cannot build the grid out to the capacity that we know we need to to hit our goals if you're not moving transmission projects forward at a, at least an equal scale, perhaps if not more. So when we think about transmission build out, I, I would say many look to New York actually as a model of a way in which we can be building predictively to facilitate not only renewable energy projects, but also economic development projects that we're seeing across our state. And at the same time, looking at it, not only from a sort of a distributed perspective, like very local needs that exist, um, 60 plus projects that the Public Service Commission has advanced, but also from a bulk perspective, um, we are the only state who is using federal FERC guidance to actually build bulk transmission. We have three projects that have moved forward through those processes and and more to come. Um, We're looking at a major public policy transmission process on offshore wind deployment. Um, All that to say, these projects take many years as well. So we need to be investing today to realize the future of decades um, down the road. Well, I've heard that in order to achieve the transmission development that New York needs to actually get this new power to people, uh, that the Hoke administration is considering basically reconfiguring the approval process, giving broader authority to the Office of Renewable Energy Siting, which got an expanded and new footprint on the renewable generation side of things a couple years ago. That process has been no panacea, though, when it comes to the process of moving things along in an expedited manner. So do you think that the uh, Office of Renewable Energy Siting could make a significant difference in in the timing of moving transmission projects along? I would say in general, we can only do better when it comes down to the topic of siting. The ORES office is up and running, and and I would say it has had an extraordinary impact on the pace, not only the pace of siting projects, But I'd say also in a way in which these processes can be standardized, 
to reflect not only a priority of responsible siting, like what does a good project look like, both so communities can respond to those requirements, but also developers alike. The topic of standardization is one that over the years, ORES has really been able to benefit not only the communities, but the projects themselves as such. On the topics of transmission, obviously I'm, I'm not able to comment about any pending approaches that the governor's team may be considering, but I would say that some of the principles that were inherent within the ORES process are those I'm already seeing on transmission siting and projects. I think that it is very different to site transmission projects than it is generation though. So it's just a complex topic, but one in which we obviously need to continue our work apace given the importance of it. Well, turning to the human infrastructure of realizing our green energy goals, what is the state doing to ensure that as these green projects, whether it's transmission or uh, generation are, are moving forward, we actually have the people to work on them? Well, it is true. Uh, when one looks at uh, the 160,000 plus clean energy workers and the objectives that we have to really build out this workforce, doubling and tripling the, the scale, we've got to really leave no stone unturned. And, and it is the case that we've seen this concept and this fundamental point of a just transition as central to the build out of that workforce of the future. We have actually a lot of requirements that have come into place um, in, in these programs to not only work with the trades, with labor organizations and others to bring that workforce forward, but also to have the principles of a just transition within the investment itself. So we actually have learned, um, even through the Climate Action Council, how to better integrate our work with the initiatives that would normally sit in the world of organized labor, of workforce development entities, and beyond. We were really pleased that that came together with a $45 million apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship clean energy training initiative. Um, we just launched an RFP with $15 million available to support projects that develop this diverse and inclusive pipeline of talent. I'd say this is really across all clean energy sectors, but I'd say it also has this fundamental focus of increasing access to high quality jobs and family sustaining wages. So we at NYSERDA know to be successful, we've got to open ourselves to new approaches and new partners. This is reflective of that partnership. It's been extraordinarily well received. I think it will be oversubscribed. Um, the need that we have across all these technologies is significant. And, and I'd say the training initiatives that we've laid out here, I think will be in hot demand. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. We've been speaking with Doreen Harris. She is the president and CEO of the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. President Harris, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Enjoy the end of the year. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.